Welcome and thank you for joining us online today. We're so excited to be able to introduce to you a brand new sermon series. My name is Pastor Aaron. I serve as the campus pastor at Christ Church Crossroads in the Libertyville Grace Lake area. And I'm so thankful to be able to bring our first message in this sermon series on the book of Daniel to you. And so you'll be hearing from a variety of our campus pastors all month long. We hope that you're able to track with us and carry along. If you want any resources, on the sermon series or any information about the church and how you can get plugged in, there will be some information uh, below in the comments section. We hope you check all that out today. So we're in uh, the book of Daniel for the next five weeks. And the book of Daniel, I'm going to share a little introduction for you. Uh, the book of Daniel can really be broken down into two major sections. The first section is going to be uh, the first five chapters on the history of what's happening during this time for the nation of Israel. And then the second half of the book is really largely the visions and dreams that Daniel has all about the future. Uh, in fact, much of what we know about Daniel is some of those visions and dreams. But what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in that first half of the book. Uh, largely, the first half of the book is stories that maybe if you grew up in church, uh, they're familiar to you. So Daniel in the lion's den and the three fr Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace and a variety of stories like that that maybe were familiar to us from childhood, but as adults, maybe we haven't had a chance to dive in. And we're excited to be able to do that with you uh, here. He's really, Daniel is really a hero of the faith. In fact, uh, not only uh, are most of us mildly familiar with Daniel, but passages from the book of Daniel are quoted and requoted in the Bible over 130 times. And as a quick introduction, I'd love just to give an overview of where Daniel fits in the book. So where does Daniel fit in the Bible? Um, I often think about the Old Testament, and it's a bit confusing. It's a bit challenging. It's hard to understand the chronology and where everything fits and when everything's happening. So just very briefly, and I, if I remember correctly, only just a few weeks ago, Mike did something similar to this. But uh, to help you have like a Google Earth view of what the Old Testament is like, the first 17 books of the Old Testament, so Genesis all the way through Esther, uh, those are going to be really the story of God's people. So that's the chronological history of Israel. Everything else that happens after that, um, those last books of the Old Testament, all happen during those first 17 books. So the next five books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, that's five books, those are the writings from among God's people, and those all happen again in those first 17 books. And the last 17 books are the prophets. The larger books are called major prophets. The smaller books are called minor prophets. These books are God's people. It's God's people sharing God's word to God's people. And so those are the prophets, and that's where Daniel falls. So Daniel's one of the prophets, and it's written during the period in those first 17 books when like Ezra and Nehemiah were written. So really, it's very much towards the very end of the Israelite history. Um, it's towards the very end of the chronology of the nation of Israel. The book begins, the book of Daniel begins just after the Babylonians. They come over a thousand miles. They come, they attack uh, the nation of Judah. They attack Jerusalem and they begin to bring everyone back. 
the Israelites and the people, they bring them back to Babylon, a faraway country. You can learn about that in 2 Kings verse 24. So they're being attacked and they're taken captive by this foreign wicked nation and wicked city. And when the people were carried away, they were living in a new world, a new culture, a new religion, a completely new way of life. One of the reasons we chose this series is that just like Daniel, we, believers in Jesus, are living in an unfamiliar world. This is not a, a new concept, nor is it something that's only struck up in the last several years. We may, have not, we may not have actually physically been removed from, our, from where we've lived. Uh, maybe some of us have been. Uh, but it feels less and less like God is in control. The pressure is to conform to the patterns of the world and of the culture and to forget that we are citizens of heaven, that we are simply passing through this life. Pastor Mike would say it like this, that we are living with eternity in mind because that's where we're going to live uh, forever. And almost to the person, we all can share details about Daniel, about who he is. He is one of the most well-known prophets. The stories are iconic. And again, as adults, we often fail to go back and look at the finer points of what God is teaching us in the book of Daniel. So that's what we're going to do. And my hope for today, and really kind of throughout the month, throughout the full series, is to encourage you to look a bit deeper, to have confidence in God, to trust that God is in control, and to have hope, despite the ever-changing landscape of the world and the culture around us. And really, I feel the best way to do that is to do some Bible exploration. So if you're there, wherever you are watching this video, I encourage you to get maybe a copy of the Bible. Many of us have uh, the app on our device, and I would encourage you to open that up. Um, get some Bible exploration. If you have the app, make sure, you, make sure you log in so you can highlight and you can take some notes even there on your phone or on your iPad or device or whatever that is. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. Uh, Daniel 1 sets up the whole rest of the book. It's an introduction, really. You're getting where this is taking place. What's the setting? It's in Babylon. Who are the main characters? And that's Daniel, uh, whom the book is about. And then you have his three friends, um, whom we probably know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. And we learn about the theme, that God is faithful despite all of the ungodly living that's going on all around them. So let's start in Daniel chapter 1, and we're just going to read uh, verse 1 and verse 2. So, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now, as a real quick note, you may remember that Israel was broken into two kingdoms. So after you had Saul and David and Solomon, the, the strong, well-known kings of the nation of Israel, the nation was broken into two. So you had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, comes to Jerusalem, which is in the south, in Judah. And he brings them all back to Babylon. But what I'd love for you to see is not the detail about where he takes them or when he takes them or how he takes them. But I want you to see in verse 2 how it's important that it, it's recorded. And the Lord delivered, and the Lord delivered the king of Judah into his hand. In another version, in the ESV, it says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. This is interesting because 
The Lord has a role in the affairs of nations and leaders and governments and even in this situation. The Lord allowed for His people to be taken captive, to be ripped from their homes and taken to Babylon. This would have appeared to be the triumph of a godless nation over the true God of Israel. But through the entire story, and God kept and fulfilled His promises to His people. God was not surprised by the attack of the Babylonians on Judah. It is how we understand God in His sovereignty. It's a, a big word meaning God knows it all. And that, that He can allow men and women to make personal choices and he still accomplishes his purposes in the world. So when I think of the way that God moves in hearts, lives, individuals, churches, cultures, peoples, states, governments, and the list can go on, I recall Proverbs 21.1. I love this verse. It says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever it pleases. So God's work in the hand of leadership is like, a stream of water in his hand, and he can move it to wherever he wants. He's powerful, and he is sovereign. Despite surface appearances, he is at work in world affairs. So, there's this theme, additionally, that runs all through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, and we see it really focused on here in Daniel. And that is the theme, uh, without getting too far into our sermon for today, this idea that God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, and this idea of exile and how to live as exiles. So if somebody is in exile, they are exiles. Believe it or not, we are exiles because this is not our home. This is just a temporary dwelling for us. We are exiles. So we can take some real great lessons from the book of Daniel and many other passages in the Old Testament. And that's what we're going to do in just a moment. So we track the Israelites through the Old Testament. We see two themes arise. We see the theme of Jerusalem and exile. So with the theme of Jerusalem, when Israel was in Jerusalem, it represented a sense of security and comfort. There were familiar surroundings, religious practices. There was a familiar culture, a common history. The strongest period of Jerusalem's history would have been when Solomon was the king, right? You remember the, the temple was built and it was a spectacle of engineering prowess. Rea the reality was people came from all over the world. Remember the Queen of Sheba? People came from all over the world to go to Jerusalem to see what Solomon had built. They came to see Jerusalem. And then there's the theme of exile. So you have Jerusalem and exile. In exile, both Israel and Judah were forcibly removed from their land. They were taken hundreds of miles from home to an unfamiliar culture, identity, traditions. They know they don't fit in. And there's a desire to take away their identity. And so as we explore um, the New Testament, those are kind of the Old Testament themes, we see there's a clear identification of God's people. That would be you and I as exiles. We are not citizens of this world, but our home is in heaven. New Testament believers saw themselves as strangers in the world. And here's just a handful of ways. There are many more. I want to just share with you three helpful ways that we can live as exiles. The first is that our posture should be outward towards the world and towards the lost and not inward towards ourselves. Common phrase that you may have heard in church, right? So the church meets all of my needs or the church doesn't meet any of my needs. Uh, you may have heard something like, 
um, like that before. The church has what I need, or maybe the church doesn't have what I need. This is a clear way to identify whether you have the Jerusalem perspective or the exilic perspective. And you are thinking more about the lost. Are you thinking more about the lost or about your needs and even kind of your wants? So the second thing that we can learn about this mindset is it'll change our view of spiritual growth. We call that discipleship. We are growing in our ability to engage the world meaningfully. More engagement in church programs is awesome, but it's not the exilic mindset. It's not what really God is calling Daniel and his three friends to, the people of Israel, nor is that what he's calling us, the church, to. And so then the last one, just as an example, and I understand these are very challenging, it affects how we spend our margin time, our extra time. I know that many of us, most of us, uh, don't have a lot of that, but what do we do with our margin time? Do we engage um, neighbors, the world? Do we engage in service? Or are we focused mainly on engaging ourselves, our wants, our desires, and our church programs. So these are, these, again, there's lists of many more of these, are good and very challenging examples of how we can begin to embrace this exilic mindset. We can choose to remove ourselves from culture, condemning it and withdrawing from it. We can conform to culture and blur the lines, or perhaps maybe there is this third way, like how we redeem those things for living in Um, in a way that God would be pleased. There's lots of writing on this. Augustine wrote on this. John Stott wrote on this. Tim Keller wrote on this. And they've done a lot of work on how we can have meaningful interactions with culture. So as you'll see, Daniel is a great example to us in that. So now let's get back to the Bible. So let's get back to uh, verse 2. So let's go in. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God, These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3. And the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of of Nebuchadnezzar's court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, and qualified to serve in the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, uh, so those who were brought in, They were brought in from captivity. Um, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he called him Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, he called him Shadrach. To Mishael, he called him Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, I don't know about you, but what you're seeing here is the makings of tearing them away from all of their familiar surroundings, right? So you are no longer Israelites. You are our people, and we are going to train you to be our people. I can't even imagine the pain of what it would have been like to have been taken away from my home without my choice, walked a thousand miles away, and torn apart from everything that I know and that I'm familiar with, and also having my name taken away. I mean, I hope that we can empathize potentially and enter into the pain and the story that Daniel and his three friends had experienced. Now, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. So, As you can see, the king would have selected a few in a situation where they're bringing an entire nation into exile. He would have chosen a few of the captives, and he would have trained them in his ways. In this circumstance, 
They would have been trained extensively for three years. It was a strategic move for the king to bring some of the Israelites, to bring some of the exiles into his court because they would have been familiar with the people. How can I relate to them? How can I get to know them? How can I be a king to them as well? Plus, they were wise and skillful, which would have been a great benefit to Nebuchadnezzar because you have the smartest of the people coming to him. So now, we can't be for sure, but Daniel and his three friends were most likely around the age of like 15 or 16. Um, that is, you know, they were teenagers when they were brought into the court of Nebuchadnezzar. They were young and they were dedicated to God. They were faithful, a faithful remnant from among God's people. And eventually they begin to make big waves in the court of the king. However, and this is the key point, a key point in my sermon. However, they were respectful, they were humble, and they were tasteful in their display of faith. It would have been an honor to be selected. Of the many that were taken from Judah, only a handful were selected to serve, and the whole purpose was to turn these Jewish boys into Babylonians. They would have had the great privilege of learning from the Babylonians, who were incredibly brilliant, right? They were builders, they were into philosophy, but of course, they also had their own faith. And that is where they went astray. So they learned some great things, but they were able to maintain their anchor in their faith in a humble and respectful way. Um, each of their names had a significant meaning in relation to their Israelite God, to our God. And that was ripped away from them. And now all of their new names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all had significant meanings to Babylonian gods. Um, and they diligently studied. So they diligently studied for three years the language and the customs, but when it came to anything that went against their faith, they drew the line. So back to verse 8, back to Scripture. We're going to read verse 8 through 10. So then Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And then verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And they compared our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. So first of all, again, they were chosen from thousands of people. They were given the best place to live, clothes, status, education, wealth to a certain degree, and the best food in the kingdom. So why then would they say no to this amazing food that's laid in front of them? Well, we see this little word in verse 8. It's the word defiled. They would not defile themselves. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be defiled? The Babylonian food would not have been kosher, first of all. It would not have been appropriate for a Jewish person to eat it. But besides that, the meat and wine were offered up in honor of the Babylonian gods. And in Jewish culture and religion, if something was offered to an idol, to eat it would be approval of the idol worship. So it wasn't until the New Testament that Jesus made it very clear that you are free to eat anything. And it is only limited 
by a person's individual conscience. So these young men made a choice not to eat this food and wine that was dedicated to the Babylonian false gods and entered into an agreement with their supervisor that they would, not eat the, they would only eat veggies and water uh, for, for the space of 10 days. Honestly, this is the true test of believers even today. How we are able to resist conformity and have clear direction forward. I think of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the two words that rise up out of that text as it relates to Daniel are the words conform and transform. A person who conforms, are pe- people who conform are people who change based on pressure from outside of themselves. And people who transform are people who change based on the power that comes from within them. Daniel and his three friends were transformers. Instead of being changed on the areas that really mattered, and again, I'm sure they learned a ton of wisdom from the Babylonian royals, but in matters of faith and belief, they did not do the changing. They changed the Babylonian people. They were transformers. So there's a grouping of responses, uh, two responses for people who are transformers. And I suggest you take this, you put it in your toolbox for daily living. The first is this, give yourself to God. It sounds simple on the surface. That is a challenging concept. But Daniel and his three friends gave their hearts to God. And we see this in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart from, for everything you do flows from it. I like this other version. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. There's this idea that we can trust God to make the right choice and we can leave the consequences up to him. A little bit more on that in just a moment. When the four men were given the choice between the king's food and God's way, they chose God's way. The second kind of helps, it kind of moves out of that one. The second one is this, uh, be gracious towards authority. Be gracious towards authority. They were respectful, they were humble, they were kind towards those who had removed them from their homes. They worked within the system to please the Lord. They worked, they, Ashpenaz, their, their chief there, their leader, was especially friendly towards them, and he was the one that they approached about changing their diet. Proverbs says this, verse 16, or chapter 16, when the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Instead of outright refusing to eat the king's food, the men were wise, they were tactful in their approach to ask for a 10-day trial period. We see it time and again in the Bible. When someone came up against authority, they took the wise, kind, and gentle approach. We see it with the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1, the apostles in Acts chapter 4, and even with Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. Romans 12 verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So in the course of the 10-day test, where... uh, where did Daniel and his three friends end up? They only ate vegetables and water. And then look what happened in verse 15. Verse 15 says, At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave, gave them vegetables instead. They needed to respectfully push against the law and trust the Lord. 
When it comes to facing the problems of our lives, we must ask God for the courage to face the problem humbly and honestly, with the wisdom to understand it, the strength to do what he tells us to do, and faith to trust that he will be involved in the process. This private test was exactly what God was using to prepare Daniel and his friends for future public tests of their character. And their character was built during this period of time at 15 and 16 years old. And not only that, look what comes of them over the three years of training. This starts in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to the king, to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So I just, I just think we need, to, we need to sit on that for just a second. Imagine ten times greater than all of the most wise people in the world. So Nebuchadnezzar would have had access to everyone, right? He had conquered kind of the known world. He was empire building. He had access to wisdom, uh, wisdom, smart people, people who were movers and shakers, people who were educated, people who had the ability to learn the Babylonian culture. Um, and these four men rose. These four teenage boys rose to the highest levels of leadership in that empire. What we learn in this little stretch is that training and ed education, they are vitally important. They give us foundations for making a living and living life. However, there is another ingredient, spiritual gifts and divine help, to have a true ministry for the Lord. And any of us, you, you, any of us, you, you can, can and should aspire to this. Training and education are awesome. There are no substitutes, though, for the ability and wisdom that only God can bring. So as we close, even going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, right? Being followers of Jesus in exile. Daniel, Daniel lived, he exhibited that here in these verses, he engaged them on their terms. He is reaching the lost. He has a love for the city and the people he is being trained to serve, even though most are not his people, his heritage. He wanted to see it flourish. He was valuable to the king. I do think it's important to bring to the surface the fact that we are not saying in this sermon, be more like Daniel. Be moral. Be upright. Do the things that Daniel would have done. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But what's amazing about this story is that it was the it's the, really the story of God. God was the one that gave Daniel the ability to do this, and God did the very same thing with his son, Jesus. And that's who we're to be like. We're to be like Jesus. Jesus did much the same thing just as Daniel did, but even better. God sent him and gave him to the world. He was in exile when he lived here. And just like God gave Jesus what he needed, and Daniel and he, his three friends what they needed, he is right there for every single one of us, giving us what we need to be, and I'm going to reference a sermon we preached not too long ago, to be salt and light, as Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. A, uh, we need to be salt and light in the world today. Let's pray together. 
Father, I am so thankful that we had a chance to just open up this first chapter of Daniel. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see the winsome, humble, wise, tactful, kind approach that Daniel took to the people who ripped him away from everything he was comfortable with. I pray, God, that you would give every single one of us, through the power of your Spirit, wisdom to live for you. Courage to live for you. And humility and kindness to do it in a way that draws people to you and not away from you. In Jesus' name, amen.